Let's take our Bibles and open to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. All right. Now the B bus just came in. So, <laughs> the C train. All right. We're going to start in Acts chapter 2, and we're going to read verses 41 down through verse 47. Continue. This is, I think, our third lesson in a series I'm doing called Real Church. And um, last week we talked about real disciples. We talked about the, follow the previous week, real uh, faith and uh, real purpose. So Acts chapter number 2 and verses 41 to 47, the Bible says, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things common, and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men, as every man had need. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. We ask your blessing now upon the Bible study hour. Uh, we pray that you'd be with the teenagers downstairs and the other Sunday school classes as well. Speak to the hearts and minds of each and every person that's here today. We pray, Lord, for the morning worship service to follow and for the junior church hour that it would all bring honor and glory to you. As always, Lord, we're thankful for your goodness. We're thankful for your mercy and grace. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So real church, a real purpose. What is our purpose? What is the biblical purpose for the church? And just how did the first church in Jerusalem function? So the Bible, as you'll notice on your handouts, the Bible is filled with patterns and uh, instruction. So, for instance, uh, in the Bible, actually, there's a, there's, a, there's a pattern. I put the first one down uh, for the ark, uh, Noah building the ark and all the instruction that was given to build the ark. But even before that, what can you think of in the Bible? I'll give you a hint. Obviously, in the book of Genesis, the first pattern in, in the Bible to, to follow after. Uh, well, that's, uh, that was the first instruction that was given. That's true. But I mean, yeah, that's what I was looking for, marriage. So shall a man leave his father and his mother, cleave unto his wife, and the two shall be one flesh. And so that's a pattern that was given. And, um, but then you have the pattern of the ark, uh, you, could, you could say you had, you had pattern for civil government because that was also given uh, the beginnings of it in, uh, in the book of Genesis. But then you have uh, some others that I have here. Maybe you can think of some others as well. But 
If you've, you've ever read and studied the tabernacle, all of the furniture that was given, all of the clothing that they were told to wear, um, the form of worship and the table of showbread and, and to the high priest and, and all of that was given to be followed uh, after. And so that's a pattern that was given. And then after that, it was the temple. And all of that had symbolic meaning as well when you study both the tabernacle and the temple. Um, and then, of course, there's the pattern that's found in the person of Jesus Christ. We're all, we talked about being disciples of Christ when we put our faith in him. And, and or Paul would say, you follow me as I follow Christ. So he, he's the pattern. But the church and what we do, there's a pattern that's laid out in the Bible. And I want to talk about that today. So on the handout, our challenge is to accurately pattern ourselves as Scripture declares itself regarding first century Christianity. So it has been said, I read this some years ago, it's been said that we need to be a 21st century church. We as believers need to be, you understand what that means, right? So we're in the 21st century, but we follow the pattern of the first century. Um, we as believers need to understand the threefold purpose of why Mount Greylock Baptist Church exists. So actually, if you if you've noticed on the door, when you walk into the building, uh, our uh, Pastor Ethan kind of implemented this years ago, um, loving God, growing together, and serving others. Well, why did he come up with why did he come up with that? kind of a theme for our ministry. I know in the early days of my ministry, one of my themes here was because he cares, we care. And that was on some of our material back then. But he came up with that because it's, it's, there's a biblical pattern for it that's found in the Bible. And so we want to talk about that today. So we're reminded that the church, the assembly, it's not primarily a place to gather with friends or work on community causes or provide activities to fill time. And while none of that is necessarily bad, but why do we come faithfully? Why do we obey, for instance, Hebrews 10.25 on our handout, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. We were talking about this recently, and I think it was on our Wednesday night uh, Bible study. But let's look at this here. So, and what we can learn from Acts chapter number Acts chapter number 2 and verses 41 through 47 and other scriptures. So the first, did I pray yet? Did I pray? Okay. That's what happens when you get to be my age. You begin to forget. <laughs> I used to do. Let's pray again. I feel like we should. <clears throat> Lord, thank you again for today. And thank you as always for your goodness. And help me now as I teach this lesson. Help us, Lord, help us to just block out the cares of the day. And uh, just for these next few minutes. And just to think about, what does the Bible say? What do the scriptures say? And how do we apply them to our lives? In Jesus' name, amen. Never hurts to pray twice, amen? Let's pray. No, no, I think we... <laughs> All right. So, Acts chapter 2, verse 41. The Bible says this. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. So our first point is this. Why do we exist? We exist because uh, for loving God. Uh, we love him because 
He first loved us. Amen? And so we love God. And um, there's some things that we need to consider when we consider loving God and growing in a heart relationship with the Lord. We know in the scriptures that there's a warning that says, be careful that you don't lose your first love. And we've talked about that as well in, in previous weeks. So I'm not going to talk about that much more than just mentioning that there are numerous passages in the Bible that, that tell us to be careful that we don't depart from uh, our relationship with the Lord. Now, I, we, we know that because the scriptures teach us that once we've accepted Christ as our Savior, you're, you can't lose your salvation. But you can lose your, your fervor, and that's what really I'm talking about, your love for the Lord. Especially, it seems, in the times in which we live. So we need to be careful. We need to be careful of that. But growing in a heart relationship, both in the New Testament and in the Old Testament, for instance, I have on your handout Mark 12, 30, Jesus said this, And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. And you could go back, we're not going to do this, but if you went back to the book of Deuteronomy, you'd see this command is given in the Old Testament as well. Right up here. Right up here. Come right up here. For the second week in a row, your husband's got his heart right with the Lord. <laughs> so both in the Old and in the New Testament, the, the emphasis is giving, given to love God. So notice now on the back of your handout. So when does this begin? Obviously, it, it, it is, it's going to begin at salvation. That's when it commences. And in verse 41, then they gladly received his word. Joyfully and readily and willingly implies that they approved of the doctrine delivered and that they were glad to hear of this way of salvation. And they fell in love with the Lord Jesus Christ. These are many of these, of course, if you know the context of this, these were primarily Jewish people that had come to celebrate Pentecost in Jerusalem. So Jerusalem, if I remember correctly, my facts might be a little off here and there. Jerusalem at that time had a population of about 50,000. But when everyone came for Pentecost, it swelled to about 200 to 250,000. They had come from all over the world at that time to, to celebrate as, as Jewish people. And so that's what they did. They came. And um, they were all there. And if you were, I'm not going to read all of this, but if you back up, for instance, in our Bibles to verse 14, um, the Bible says that Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judah, and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken to my words. For these are not drunken, as ye suppose. In other words, they had heard them speak in tongues, and they were questioning what was going on. These are not drunken, as ye suppose, seeing it is but the third day of the hour, of the day. But this is that which was spoken of the prophet Joel. So again, he points them to the Old Testament. It shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams, and my servants and on my handmaids I'll pour out. And I'm not going to read the whole thing, but he's, he's, 
you can read it on your own time because we've got a lot to cover. But he's preaching to them and, he, and, he, and, he, and he's telling them that the Old Testament scriptures prophesied of this. And then in verse 21, And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And then in verse 22, he talks about Jesus of Nazareth. And they're, all, they're listening here. And um, the ministry of Jesus, of course, would, was, was known by then. And uh, he'd already been crucified, buried, and raised from the dead. He's ascended into heaven. The, the, they were told the apostles to go into all the world and to preach the gospel. And they began here in Jerusalem to preach. And in verse 24, speaking of Jesus, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, and because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. And then he goes on and he, and, he, and he shares with them out of the psalm, Psalm 16, verses 8 through 11. And then verse 31, He, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. This Jesus hath God raised up, where are we are all witnesses. And he continues, Verse 36, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made the same Jesus, whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Verse 37, Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their hearts. That's the Holy Spirit that's pricking them. And said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. And so there we have, and then 3,000 people, 3,000 Actually, it says 3,000 men uh, came to know Christ as their Savior. So the church has swelled from, uh, from maybe 100 to all of a sudden now there's, there's over 3,000 people who are involved here or, 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 or who have gladly received his word. And what an exciting time that, that must have been when all this was taking place. And um, they've come to know Christ. They've come to know the Messiah as their Savior and and listen, when, when a person comes to know Christ as their Savior, I mean genuinely get saved, um, they recognize just how lost they were. They recognize just their need. They recognize that, that they were on their way to hell and uh, that there was no other way to escape an eternity in a, a place of torment uh, than by other by than accepting the shed blood of Jesus Christ as their Savior. And do you realize that there's nothing good about you, nothing worthy about you, nothing acceptable about you in the eyes of God, and that you had no hope, that you were lost for all of eternity. And you realize that God loved you so much that he sent his son Jesus to die and pay for your sin on the cross, how unworthy you are. And that day you accepted Christ as your Savior. I can't speak for you, but all the burdens are lifted. And you realize that now I know that Christ has paid for my sin. And now I know that as unworthy, as unholy, as unrighteous as I am, I now am clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Well, we need to think about that regularly. Because when you really that really sinked in. How could you not fall in love with Jesus? How could you not? And um, they fell in love with Jesus. And you and I, that's, that commences at salvation. We love the Lord because he first loved us. 
And so in verse 41, that's what happens here. Then they gladly re- they received his word, but now they identify with him. And the instruction was given as far as a, an outward sign of an inward faith. They were baptized. They were baptized. And they, they, the, 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 the love of Christ continues. That's how we identify with him publicly, by, by being ba- baptized. In John 1.11, it says, So then they that... Um, Oh, I just forgot that verse. In John chapter 1, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. And that's what happened. They became the sons of God. Now they want to identify with Christ. And so they get baptized. And they identify with him. And, and that's part of who we are. That's part of the church. Why? You, come, you attend church here. You identify with Mount Greylock Baptist Church. And that's, who, that's why you're, you know, somebody might say to you, where do you go to church? Well, you say, well, I go to church at Mount Greylock Baptist Church. Well, that's where you identify the place where you go to worship. And we identify with things. And then as a believer, you get saved and, and you're baptized. And uh, if you notice on your handout, it, uh, I wrote this little note. When a Jew had received baptism, uh, in all likelihood, he was excluded from all communication with his countrymen. No man would have forfeited such privileges, but on the fullest and clearest conviction. They're, they, they're leaving Judaism and, and the old covenant and now the new covenant. And um, I, when I went to Lydia's graduation, along the way, just north of Atlanta, we stopped to see some old friends, the, the, uh, the Joneses, Terry and Janet Jones, who are missionaries to the Ivory Coast in Africa. But I'll never forget Terry coming home on furlough one time telling us of a Muslim man in the Ivory Coast that they witnessed to who came to know Christ as his Savior and his family put him to death because of it. He was, really, he was willing to risk his life, and he did, to identify with Christ. And those missionaries that we support that are, that are in those types of countries, when they win people to Christ, and they, and they accept Jesus, and they're baptized, and they identify with Christ, they're putting, not only does their family exclude them, but there are times in certain situations where their family puts out a death warrant for them. So, that's so foreign to us. I don't mean that to be a play on words, but it's foreign to us. And I have to tell you, there's been a couple of times here in my ministry that uh, I've had people who have come to know Christ, were baptized, and their families uh, didn't completely um, excommunicate them, but really gave them a hard time because they left Catholicism or, or whatever they were in. And the family, the, the person didn't mean it to be a slight per se, but they just fell in love with Jesus and they identified with him. We all identify with things. And uh, so we, we need to think about that. But we, we don't, when we come to Mount Greylock Baptist Church and we assemble here and we identify with Christ doing that, but we also, so that's kind of like the, you tell me when we're here, how else do we identify with Christ? I mean, so, so now you've, you've come, you've brought your body into the building. But what do we do while we're here to identify with Christ? Because we, 
We all, when we're here, we're identifying in some way, shape, or form. You tell me. What else do we do when we're here? It's, it's not a trick question. It's basic stuff. Huh? We worship. And we do that a number of ways. That's true. So how? How? How do we worship when we're here? So singing was one way. I'm sorry, Jim, I didn't hear you. In song, singing in song. Okay, yeah, we lift up our voices. And I don't know if it was, maybe it was last Wednesday or I don't know, Ethan was talking about this. So when we're singing, who are we singing to? Yeah, we're singing to the Lord. And we do sing to one another. Because the, the Bible tells us that. We sing both to the Lord and we sing to one another to build one another up in the faith. So that's one way that we worship. What else? Huh? In prayer. Prayer is an act of worship. Um, and it's so important. So there's a sign-up sheet in the foyer, for instance, about a, a man and young men's prayer meeting. Why do we do that? Do we just do that because... Well, we've got to do something every now and then. No, we do that because there's a pattern in the New Testament church of people coming together and praying. Why on Wednesday night at the end of the Bible study do we uh, have a prayer time? Because there's a pattern beginning in the very early days of the church. That's what they did. So we're still doing that. That's the pattern that was set. What else? Yes. That's a pattern. And we'll talk about serving on the third point. But yes, that, I have actually one of that written down. Serving. The New Testament church was called for the individuals in the church to in some way, shape, or form to serve the Lord. What else? And, and that would be teach, not only teaching, but singing, teaching, cleaning, nursery, uh, driving the bus, doing carpentry, you could just, you know, let, think of all those things. Potluck meals. Potluck meals. Uh, well, that's, that's actually, that's what they did. They gathered and they had a meal together. Why do we, why did many, many, many years ago that I implement a monthly um, fellowship meal? And we kind of got away from it over COVID and all that. Because that's what they did in the early church. They got together and they ate together. That, that's why we did it. That's why we still do it. Yes? We, well, we communicate with one another. Yeah, that's part of coming together. And, and um, yeah. Giving. Yeah, that's how you identify with Christ. I mean, think about it. If, all the things you identify with from a secular point of view. And uh, like, for instance... Talk, I'm, I'm talking about giving financially. So we identify with Christ when we give, when we, when we tithe, when we give to missions. We're identifying with the missions outreach. That's that, because that's the way they did in the early church. So, you know, think about that just for a minute because we identify, you know, if, if you have a favorite hobby, you have no trouble identifying financially with that. Right? <laughs> if you're a fisherman, you have no... You have no no problem identifying with a new fishing rod and a new reel. Uh, if you're into photography, like Dennis is, you have no, you have no problem of, of, of buying a new piece of uh, identifying with your hobby. Uh, if you're into, you know, you, and you can let your mind run in all different directions there. Uh, 
If you like music, Ethan mentioned, it was in the news, but Ethan mentioned these people, this is, this is bizarre, they, they paid $21,000 to go see and hear Taylor Swift sing. $21,000. They identified with Taylor Swift. They had no trouble. But, but, but if you like music and you go to hear people sing or you go to the theater and you watch a movie, you have no problem identifying with Hollywood and you're no problem with, with, with tithing to Hollywood. Ouch. But why is it sometimes with Christians it comes to the local church that financially they just can't seem to get over the hump of identifying financially with giving. Oh, maybe I should move on. Okay, I will. But we identify. It's how we identify. You know, I ride a motorcycle. And uh, a lot of people, they, the only kind of motorcycle they'll ride is a Harley Davidson because they, they identify with Harley Davidson. Well, Frank's not here. He owns two Harley Davidsons. And uh, I wouldn't trade my Kawasaki for his Harley Davidson in a, in a heartbeat. The only, thing, the only thing about a Harley Davidson is the name. Frank would tell you that. This Harley Davidson that he rides is kind of like a truck compared to the, my Kawasaki Vulcan Nomad that the church gave me for my 25th anniversary many years ago. <laughs> many years ago. Oh, I'm getting old. <laughs> Smooth, can cruise along right at, um, well, my wife's here. I won't tell you how fast I cruise along. And, uh, but it's all paid up. Don't worry. You'll be well taken care of. There is an exclusion for motorcycle, right? No, 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 no. Just tell her your life insurance is the Yes, amen, amen. And you'll just have to live by faith once I'm gone. You, she'll, she'll, tell you, she'll say, I've been living by faith ever since. I better move on. So our love for the Lord commences when we get saved. Amen? And then it continues as we identify with the things of God. How many of you, are, if you, if, how many of you have a wedding ring on this morning? Put up your hand if you have a wedding ring on. How many of you are soon to have a wedding ring on? There you are. So I wear this ring. I remember some years ago, I, was, I lost my wedding. I've lost a couple of them. And I was at church, and someone came up to me. So I was waiting to get a new one. Someone came up to me, and they said, Pastor, where's your wedding ring? And I had to explain. I, lo I think I lost it doing firewood or something like that. You know, you, it, I started to sweat, and the thing slid off and it flew into the wood pile. I could never find it. It's, it's probably there still buried in the ground. They wanted to know where my wedding ring was. And it wasn't my wife that said, hey, where's your wedding ring? <laughs> but why do we wear this ring? We wear these rings so that we identify with the idea that uh, we have a wife or we have a husband. And it's all part of the ceremony, too, when someone gets married, because we're identifying. We're identifying. So, anyhow, that's, you and I as believers, that's, that's how we identify with Christ. When I, I'll give you this last example. My, my, I, was with, uh, I was in Louisville helping my daughter, uh, Bethany, and her husband, Lane, move some stuff there years ago and took Gideon with me. We went to the Louisville Slugger Baseball Museum. And if you like baseball and you're ever in Louisville, go to the museum. It's, uh, it's been there for like over 100 years. 
They give you about an hour and 15, an hour and 30 minute tour. So it's not too long, but it's very interesting. And they have tons of historic bats there. Near the end, there's a room and they have in that room a bat from every major league team and who owned the bat. And so, you know, kids like to do this. So you can, you can go and you can pull your favorite team bat and there happened to be, and Gideon's a Yankees fan. So they were able to pull a Derek Jeter bat, a, a bat that he used, and you could kind of sit there and swing a Derek, the, the very bat that Derek Jeter held on to in a game. So, because he, he, he identified with that. And then he pulls, the guy was making small talk, told him we were from New England. He pulls out a David Ortiz bat. Now, if you, you know about baseball, that's a Red Sox and a very great, great <laughs> player. It was the, George Steinbrenner used to say, the one regret is he never signed David Ortiz. He had a chance to do it. And so he says, here, here's a David Ortiz bat. Gideon said, no. That's right. No, I don't want to touch that bat. I don't want to touch that bat. Because he, uh, he, was, he was identifying with, with, with that. But anyhow, so we identify. We get saved. We identify. We love Christ. We identify by all the things that we've just mentioned together. But then you notice this in the early church. So verse 42. Then they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. So they began to grow together. And uh, that's a, growing in Christ is a process. I remember years ago on a publication, I don't even know if it's printed any longer, but a guy wrote an article, it was entitled, There's No Instant Potato Christians. You know, I remember, if you've ever used instant potatoes, you put the powder in, put the water in, you got potatoes. Now, you're instantly saved when you accept Christ as your Savior, but they meant the process of growing in Christ. And um, you grow, you grow, and some of the things that you've mentioned as we, that we identify with, we begin, and that's the pattern in the early church. These 3,000 that got saved in verse 41, they, they didn't know everything about, they didn't know everything about the things of God, but it said in verse 42, they continued steadfastly. That word steadfastly, they received it, they retained it, they acted on the things that they would come to learn. And the apostles would teach them. And then, then the New Testament scriptures would be formulated over time. And the epistles would be written, the gospels would be finished, and the letters would be passed from church to church, and they would, they would grow together, they'd grow in the faith. Um, just take your Bibles real quick and go over to, let you have it on the screen, uh, Steve. 2 Timothy chapter uh, 4 was on the hand. 2 Timothy 4, verses 2 through 4. So, so Timothy, or Paul would write to Timothy, preach the word. Be instant in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, rebuke, rebuke exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. Doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall heap to themselves te teaching, having itching ears. On your handout, I'll have a little kind of a quote there. The most important part of a church is not how many activities or programs it has, nor its appearance. Again, nothing wrong with these things. But the most important element is that the teaching and the preaching ministry is filled with sound doctrine. 
You can have the greatest music program in a church, but if the church isn't preaching sound doctrine, it's all for naught. You can have the greatest outreaches, but if there's not sound doctrine, it's all for naught. And, and right on down the line. And so there, they, they, the early church, they, they listened to the apostles and the doctrine that the apostles were teaching. And then right there, some of the things that you mentioned or we mentioned in the first point, the fellowship that they had. Why do we have fellowship? Why do we have, for instance, life groups where small groups get together? Because the reality is, when you think about it, if 3,000 people got saved, the reality was there were small groups of those 3,000 as time went on meeting. They weren't all meeting together. There wasn't like some mega church. They, they would probably meet in groups. And uh, we know that the early church met in, in people's homes. And um, they, why do we do that? Because that's the pattern that was set in the early church. The fellowship meal, the prayer meeting, we've already talked about those things. That's the pattern. There was a sense of community, a common meal. There was corporate prayer as well as, as, as private prayer. And so that's why we do what we do. And that's why we, we preach the Bible, the Word of God, because that's where our doctrine comes from. There's devoted fellowship uh, that we've talked about in point two. That's how we grow together. The breaking of the bread and the prayers. Endeavoring, Ephesians says, to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. In Colossians chapter 2, it talks about being rooted and built up in the faith. That's, what, that's why we function as a body of believers. To be rooted in the cause of Christ. To be built up in the faith. That's why we do what we do. And then lastly, because we're out of time, and it's already been mentioned, is serving. So look at verses 44 to 47. And all that believed were together and had all things common, sold their possessions and goods, part of them to all men, as every man had need. And they continuing daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved." So, and, and I, again, Ethan covered this a couple of weeks ago when he was teaching out of the same text. So I'm not going to say anything more about this selling of the possessions other than this. What's happening here is pretty much a one-time event. Remember I said earlier, 50,000 population. There's 250,000 people now that have traveled from all over. And um, now they've gotten saved. They only brought enough provisions for Pentecost and, and for a week and they would have went home now a lot of them are not going home. They need to be fed. They need to be housed. So those people in Jerusalem, right from the very beginning, showed brotherly love. They helped to feed those that were there, that were from outside of the area. They helped to house those who were there. Um, and, and I'll just move on. There's more I could say about that. But discover your place in serving. Discover where you can serve in, in a local church. I have Romans 12, 4 through 8, um, if they'll put that up on the screen. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office. Waiting for you to change it to the next verse. Is it changed behind me? No. 
So we being many are one body in Christ and everyone members one of another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let's prophesy according to the proportion of faith, or ministry, let us wait on our ministry, or that teacheth on teaching, or he that exhorteth on exhortation, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity, he that ruleth with diligence, he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. Is that all I had? Through eight? Yeah. So anyhow, you could also go to Ephesians chapter 4 and 1 Corinthians chapter 4, and there are lists, lists of different spiritual gifts that God has given to everyone. Again, this is another lesson for another time. God has gifted every believer with at least one gift whereby to serve him. But find your place to serve. That's what a local church is about. Find what you can do and how you can be used of the Lord. And it's not on, it's not on your handout, but not only discover your place, but... Make sure that you discover your passion with regards to ministry, why you do what you do. If you vacuum the church, vacuum because you love Jesus. If you clean the church toilets, clean the church toilets because you love Jesus Christ as your Savior. And whatever you do, if you teach a Sunday school class, you're primarily not teaching that class because you love the students, although you should love the students, obviously, but you love Jesus first. If you preach, same thing. If you sing, if you're singing because you love to sing, then you have all out of order. You sing because you love Jesus. That's why you sing. You play an instrument. It's not because primarily because you love to play an instrument. It's because you love Jesus. You love Jesus. And, and right on down the line, all the things that we talked about. And so that's why it's so vitally important that we keep our passion for Christ and then our passion for one another and our passion for the lost. People need to hear about Jesus. I was so, uh, we're, we're, I'm going over, we're out of time, and I'll have a word of prayer in a minute, but I was, uh, Wednesday night, we had a couple of our kids that hadn't been out on Wednesday night in the last few weeks, and, and um, I, prayed for, I prayed for one of them to come on Wednesday night, and she came. And... Um, He's probably one of the most difficult kids we bring in on the bus. And she comes from a difficult background, and I'm really praying that one day she gets saved. God's just giving me a real burden for that little girl. And, uh, and she came on Wednesday night, and I told her. I said to her, her name is McKenna. If you can remember to pray for her, pray for her. Oh, McKenna, I'm so glad to see you. We've missed you these last several weeks. I was praying for you to come and come on the bus tonight. And I don't know if that meant anything to her or not, but I wanted her to know that. I'm really praying that one day she gets saved. And so never lose your passion for people that come to know Christ as their Savior because that's what it's about, loving Jesus, because Jesus loved you and saved you are people who need to get saved and um, don't ever lose your passion for that. Pray that God keeps that passion in your heart. You'll give out a gospel track, invite somebody to church. Don't lose your passion for that. When you lose your passion for that, you'll begin to lose your passion for other things as well in the faith. Let's pray. Father, bless the morning worship service. Help us to love you as we sing and give and listen to the preaching, and to just interact. Just bless the service in a great way. In Jesus' name, amen.
We are so glad that you've taken the time to join us today. If you've been blessed by the message, or if you have placed your faith in Jesus today, we want to hear from you. Maybe you still have questions about what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Please let us know, and we would love to answer those questions from the Bible. We would also be happy to provide you with the Bible and other free Christian resources to help you grow in your faith. You can email us at info at mountgraylockbaptist.com or send us a message on Facebook. You can also call us at 413-662-2107. We would love to hear from you, and our desire is to be a blessing to you in any way that we can. God bless.